0: Welcome to Emrons Podcast, episode number 50. This is your host, Suman Silwal.
1: Concentrate on improving, getting better.
0: I would like to thank those of you who have already donated towards my Boston to Big Sur challenge. Please visit emrons.com forward slash B number 2B to learn more about culturecity.org and links to the donation page. Please consider donating a dollar per mile for Boston or Big Sur or both. Thanks. I'd like to welcome Matt Fitzgerald to Emron's podcast. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Matt, you are an author of many books, including a recent book, uh, The Endurance Diet. Before we go deep on our interview, just want you to give some background on yourself.
1: Sure. Um, so I've been a runner most of my life. Uh, ran uh, cross-country in track in high school, then got away from it for a little while, got back into it in my mid-20s. Uh, branched out into triathlon. I've also been a writer most of my life and have been writing about endurance sports since I was fresh out of college. Um, I've been coaching since um, 2001 and have been a certified sports nutritionist since 2006.
0: So how did you include your passion of endurance, being an endurance athlete and then and a writing? And I think you have written extensive books and writing. So how how does that work for you?
1: Uh, yeah, well, I got both the running and the writing from my father. Um, my, my dad was running marathons back in the eighties when I was growing up. And so I thought that was a normal thing to do and just took after him. Um, and, uh, my dad is also a, a writer. Um, so I, I grew up, I think I was nine years old when I decided that that's what I wanted to do and never changed my mind. Um, I didn't necessarily expect to write about uh, running and, and endurance sports, but when I moved, so I grew up on the East Coast, and when I moved to California in 1995, the first writing job I was uh, able to get was with a, a startup endurance sports magazine. So um, that's when the two came together—the the, the running and the writing—and they've they've been together ever since. That was 1995. A lot of your writing is research based, and uh, you talk
0: about a lot of elite athletes. Do you also talk about the everyday athletes as well, or or do you do mostly your research is done in elite athletes?
1: Well, it sort of depends. I mean, when uh, when I look for guidance on, um, you know, how, you know, obviously my audience is, is mostly everyday athletes, recreational athletes. Uh, but when I search for um, information about how everyday runners should eat and train and uh, develop mental fitness, I look primarily to two main sources. One is science and two is elite athletes, because you know by virtue of being the most successful at, at what we're all doing, they are role models obviously not not absolutely everything that elite athletes do is uh, transferable to everyone else but by and large what they what they are doing in terms of training diet and psychology is a collection of best practices so you know i'm I'm serving recreational runners uh, but learning from elites and and from scientists um, I'm also you know a recreational runner triathlete myself so and i and i coach those athletes so that's another source of learning if you know maybe if i want to try something that i've learned from science and it doesn't work with me or, or the athletes i coach you know I'll, I'll chalk that up as as maybe something that's not transferable um but that's really my formula definitely uh, let's talk about your recent book sure so uh, yeah the the title of the book is the endurance diet and the premise is very simple um It's basically the idea that elite endurance athletes all over the world uh, share a common approach to diet. That doesn't mean they all eat exactly the same foods, but there's a remarkable consistency in underlying habits. Um, And I'm not talking about just runners. I'm talking about world-class athletes in rowing, cross-country skiing, triathlon, cycling, swimming, you name it. And everywhere from Canada to Kenya, I, I traveled all over the world, and also gathered uh, information from from athletes all over the world uh, in researching this book to try to identify what these common patterns are. It's already been known for some time that elite endurance athletes share a common core approach to training, and because diet is just as important as as training, I figured. Well, there must be some, some common best practices there as well. And, and sure enough, I did identify them. Just to quickly take you to, through the list, you know, there, there's nothing shocking in here, and, and nor should one expect there to be. Uh, that's kind of the point. Um, you know, recreational endurance athletes are much more likely to do extreme things, whereas what the elites are doing is pretty vanilla, but who cares? It's, it's what works. So the, anyway, the five are habit one is uh, eat everything, and that just means not, uh, you know, artificially eliminating any type of, uh, you know, demon nutrient or villain food group. Uh, number two is eat quality. Habit number two is eat quality. So while elite endurance athletes don't exclude any food types, their their diet is heavily skewed towards the the highest quality food types. And habit number three is eat carb centered. And by that I mean if you know if you look at the plate, the breakfast plate, the lunch plate, or the dinner plate of any given elite athlete on any given day. You'll find some form of uh, carbohydrate rich, high quality food a- at the center of it. Um, they definitely are not athletes who are avoiding carbohydrate except in uh, select circumstances, uh, which we can get into if you like. Habit number four is eat enough. and that really refers to you know the quantity of food the athletes eat versus the quality. And instead of counting calories and you know restricting themselves with, you know portion size limits or calorie limits or whatever, Athletes um, are very attuned to their energy needs just by listening to their um, you know, built-in hunger and satiety signals, uh, which is an, an ability that every mammal has, including humans. It's just we're sort of trained to override it or socialized to override those signals in our society. But there's good research showing that anyone can relearn how to regulate uh, their quantity of food intake appropriately just by listening to their bodies. And it actually works much better uh, than, than calorie counting does. And then number five is eat individually. The first four habits I gave you are sort of one size fits all, but every person is unique. And another thing that, you know, because elite athletes are so tuned into their, their bodies and their needs, they tend to find, um, you know, a, a formula, uh, a dietary formula for themselves that's individualized or customized. So, uh, you know, the basic parameters are the same for all of them, but there's a level of refinement that occurs on an individual level. And that's just a process that has to play out over time through sort of, you know, connecting cause and effect with your diet and outcomes such as, you know, running performance, recovery, uh, weight management, and all that stuff. Definitely.
0: Uh, that's a great list to follow and look look at it uh, as an endurance athlete myself. One of the things uh, I did uh, trying to get better, I wanted to do anything, everything possible to get to Boston, but I was always overweight. You know, I, I got to a point I could not lose any more weight. So I, I took extreme route and I uh, just uh, went from one day eating a Golden Corral Buffet, next day turning to vegan, and I lasted for two and a half years. Uh, Then I continued that being a vegetarian at this point. Uh, Listening to you, I think, is that some extreme measure I took, or is this something normal everybody does? How does that work? What do you think about those?
1: Well, you know, what's interesting is that there's this weird um, divide between what elite athletes are doing and what recreational athletes are doing. That's exactly why I wrote this book. Because, you know, in the work that I do, I get to observe elite endurance athletes all the time in terms of what they do, how they train, what they eat. And I notice that, you know, what they do is just very sensible and um, kind of mainstream and middle of the road and very sustainable and normal. And it's it's, you know, they have very high standards, but what they're doing isn't really all that extreme or difficult. And then, you know, as a sports nutritionist, I deal mostly with recreational athletes who tend to go for all kinds of different, you know, dietary shticks, And more than more often than not, they yield poor results. So, you know, it got me thinking, you know, why don't recreational athletes just do what the elites do since A, it works better and B, it's easier. Um, so that was really my, my motivation for, for writing this book. And, you know, to fully answer your question, in my research, I, I encountered very, very few vegan, uh, professional endurance athletes, they do exist. And all it takes is one to prove that it can be done. Uh, but what I've tended to find with, uh, um, you know, athletes who not just vegans, but people who uh, eliminate any food groups, so you've got paleo people, you know, avoiding grains and what have you, it's sort of, it can be done, but it, it's harder. And why, why would you arbitrarily do anything to, to make it harder than it has to be? You know, diet is already hard enough So why not do it the easiest way possible? So, you know, if someone wants to not eat meat for, um, you know, religious or ethical reasons, that's not my job to to talk them out of that. I I just, you know, I just come at it from a a nuts and bolts bottom line perspective. It's like, you know, if you want to qualify for Boston and you want to not do anything, anything unnecessarily difficult, eat some meat. (laughs) <laughs> and i did
0: <laughs> i did qualify twice and i have going back but uh, the other thing the point um i lost a lot of weight uh, as i started like like you have, you mentioned in your books uh you do lose a weight but that weight has come up and kind of stayed I think. not while, when i started running but uh, as i was starting the diet i guess or lifestyle change that's what we we should call it i didn't do this for a religious reason but i just did it for to qualify so being an athlete, and I thought that's the path to take.
1: Yeah, and, you know, again, you know, there's, you know, human beings are very um, adaptable, you know, metabolically, dietetically. So, um, you know, there's there's more than one way to skin a cat, as they say. Um, But, you know, what I'm offering in my book is, you know, a collection of habits that seem to work really well for most people. Um, So it's a it's a it's a good starting place. And again, don't forget habit number five is eat individually. So, you know, there's always that room to, um, you know, find a path that's a little bit uh, your own. Definitely. I think
0: this answer uh, to the next next kind of question I have one of one of my friends was asking and some of my friends kind of pointed out, uh, regardless how hard you do, how how clean food you eat and how much you work, you're still not able to lose that weight. And I, I struggle that myself. And Is it something that our body will not uh, let us lose those weight or are there some more changes we need to make?
1: Let's just say I'm not referring to you specifically, but what what I have found often is that uh athletes who think they're doing everything already, when you scratch the surface, very seldom are they, in fact. Um they we, we tend to look at our own health habits through rose-colored lenses. Um so you know, we, we just think we're we think there's nothing else we can we can do, and there's actually plenty. Um that's not to dismiss, you know, your question because there are those cases where um, it's just harder for some people than it is for others. Um, that can That can be true for you know, genetic reasons or life history reasons. You know if you unfortunately, if you have ever been overweight, um, it sort of raises your set point. So you it, it's it, it's not realistically, you know the the body composition that might have been attainable for you if you ne- if you never had had that history might no longer be. But still it's it's the same fundamental rules that apply. You know, it's uh you know, you, you sort of have to just uh do things by the book and you know, find ways to to you know clean things up more. And you know, it's not just what you eat, it's how much you eat, it's how you train, you know, it, it's it's the whole lifestyle package. And sometimes it's just a matter of, you know, people want it to be one thing. Um and, and often what gets them where they're they're trying to go is just, you know, every little thing. <laughs>
0: Definitely. Uh, other thing um, along along the similar line of talking talk about nutrition for ultra marathoner. I think uh, versus uh, marathon or shorter distance, it's I think it has to be a little different. Correct?
1: Yeah, for you know ultra runners, what I one thing that's obvious is you know if you you know if you if you increase your training to to prepare for longer distances, you need more food.
0: <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> you, need,
1: you, need, you need more energy. And what also seems to be the case, mostly just anecdotally, but there's more science showing it, too, is that macronutrient balance matters a little bit less. You know, if you're if you're exclusively doing, you know, 10 to 24 hour races, it seems to be you, you can get away with a lower carbohydrate intake than if you are you know a 5K, 10K specialist. So, yeah, there, there definitely are some some differences, but not not quite as extreme as some people would would like to make them out to be, I think. Uh
0: one thing I personally do when I'm running ultra the my diet intake leading up to the race versus how I do it for the road trying to running a hard marathon. I guess there's always a differences between how I need to feed my body. I don't know if it's natural the way I'm kind of doing it myself or or is it a science behind this?
1: Uh well, I mean I don't know exactly, you know, what what you're doing, but but um you know, there's a there's a part of my book when I, I talked to uh, a sports nutritionist who deals with the uh, Canadian national cross-country ski team, actually just the ski teams in general. Um, and he said that sometimes he doesn't really care. Like if he finds athletes who who say, you know, this is what works for me. And sometimes he thinks, you know what, that's just superstition. But he won't talk them out of it because he believes that a lot of that stuff is, is self-fulfilling. Uh, so what I'm getting at is with, with your experience, you know if you find yourself just sort of naturally um, you know shifting your, your nutritional approach you know based on you know what what type of event you're preparing for and it feels right and you' you're getting the good results you know why, why look a gift horse in the mouth um, you know it could be it could be just you know there could be a sound a physiological basis for it or it could be just mostly uh, psychological or a combination of, of both. But to know for sure, I would have to know a lot more about exactly what you're doing.
0: Definitely. uh, just uh, wanted to ask about the runners over 40s, how the, how we supposed to prepare uh, as we get older and uh, nutrition-wise? Is it, is it something we need to control on it or, or do we continue to eat the way we're eating when we we're 20s? I'm sure that's not the answer, I guess.
1: Yeah, you know, I tend to come down on the side of that, you know, the the idea that, um you know older people need to eat differently than younger people that men need to eat differently than women and so on it's mostly those things are largely marketing inventions <laughs> <laughs> companies companies that want to sell us different products with you know labels that that speak just to us yes there are differences for sure you know i i i've talked to i'm i'm 45 now um so you know I, i've i've gone through some of this experience and I've talked to a lot of a lot of other athletes uh, who've had the same experience. And what they what they generally find is that um, what constituted good enough for them before is no, <laughs> no longer good enough that they can't get away with some of the slack in, in their diet. So most of the rules stay the same. And, and the science supports this. You know, you can't find any drastic shifts in vitamin or mineral needs or, um, you know, any, any other essential nutrients. Really, it's just that you know, your, your metabolism uh, may slow a bit. Due to, uh, you know, loss of muscle mass, things like this. So what I found you know, in my case is that I just had to do more of the things I was already doing with my diet and that, you know, the, the, you know the little shortcuts I would take you know an extra dessert per week that I used to be able to get away with without gaining weight I just can't anymore so that's what I find you know there are certain you know when I'm working with certain individual athletes who um, you know have passed in, in the middle age will will we'll focus on uh, different things they can do with training and diet to help preserve muscle mass which in turn preserves metabolism so things like that Definitely. Talking about the diet and um, running, is
0: there a different diet we need to prepare for ourselves to do a hard running, racing versus easy running? You know, is is it a our distance running itself? Is there a difference in on those kind of preparation, or should it be same?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of interest these days in um, you know nutritional periodization, which is the idea that you know you eat differently in different phases of training, and you eat differently on you know rest day versus uh um you know a hard training day and there's definitely some some substance there but i i try to urge athletes to pump the brakes on on that type of micromanagement a little bit because i just see it as a there's this tendency to overthink overanalyze and to try and achieve an unrealistic level or unnecessary level of control that often just doesn't ultimately yield the best results it's almost like a personality type i see with <laughs> athletes a lot of them who end, end up you know with disordered eating or just Unable to stick with anything, so the answer is yes. Um, you know, y- you do. It is sensible to do some of that, um, but you need to do it with with open eyes and and not put too much stock in it. Up, uh, you know. Speaking of stocks, I actually the analogy I like to make is with you know um, looking at your uh, retirement portfolio. You know, what matters the most is the overall trend. You can drive yourself nuts checking your retirement account balance every single day or, <laughs> or, or twice a day, you know, it's going to go up, it's going to go down. But as long as it's going up monthly or whatever, uh, that's what matters. And it's the same thing with diet. If you just look at something like calorie intake, um, you know, if you take, you know, a- any runner is they're not, they're typically not training the same every day. And so they're not burning the same number of calories every day. So, you know, there's, it's only sensible to think, well, maybe I shouldn't eat the same number of calories every day, right? And I should, you know, count my calories to make sure that they are trending up and down with, you know, my calorie burning. But that, but that appears to be almost entirely unnecessary, unnecessary. Like, first of all, most elite endurance athletes aren't doing it. They just, as long as everything sort of averages out by the end of the week, it's okay if, you know, you, you eat a hundred more calories than you burn on Wednesday and burn a hundred more than you, uh, eat on Saturday, you know? So there's, there's very little to be gained and in, 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 you know, that level. Uh, of, of focus, um, and and so just taking sort of the weekly view versus the daily view, you know, I I think is generally the way to go.
0: Along the same line, I think I have noticed, and a lot of my friends, um, they feel the same way. A lot of runners, um, that as we train through the through the summer or for the fall marathon, then we, we eat, uh, we, that's just like what we talked about just now. And then then suddenly, suddenly there comes time of a tapering and, uh, that's where we go less running, but we continually eating because we're continually hungry. Like we we're training. And then we feel like we have gained like 10, 10 pounds yeah. within like one or two weeks of not running.
1: You know, I definitely recommend that, you know, for athletes who are doing any type of sharp taper that they do uh, change their diet in a few different respects. But one of them is is to consciously eat a little less because typically if you, if you reduce your energy expenditure abruptly as you do when you, you taper, there's a little bit of a lag in terms of when your appetite uh, follows. You know, it, it eventually will. <laughs> but if you're only tapering for a seven to 10 days, you can't necessarily, that's a time when you can't necessarily trust your appetite. And you you may in fact gain you know three pounds that's just dead weight that you don't need now you know it, it's okay to expect a little bit I mean especially if, if we're talking about you know if it's a 5k that's one thing but if you're training for you know a, a long or ultra distance event uh, you want to be storing uh, glycogen at that time um, and there's you know a little bit of mass associated with, with that but you know glycogen is stored with water as well so you're gonna you're going to store water weight as well and that's worth it. Because, you know, you're like a camel, um, you know, just sort of stocking up, you know, packing your humps with water for, for a trek across <laughs> the desert. So and that, you know, that weight's going to be all gone by the time you're two thirds of the way through your race. So, you know, it's just kind of a balance. But but that is one time. Um, and I get into this more in my book, uh, not the one we've been talking about, but uh, uh, the new rules of half marathon and marathon nu- nutrition, where I, I talk about you know, how that that taper period it sort of is an appropriate time to micromanage your diet a little bit to avoid, you know, just just that sort of thing, that, that last minute uh unnecessary uh weight gain. Definitely. Um you mentioned that earlier that you wanted
0: to elaborate a little bit on your habit three carb center diet. Can we talk about that a little?
1: Sure, yeah. So, you know, you know, there's research going back to the early 1960s showing that um when when endurance athletes increase their carbohydrate intake before any type of long endurance test, time trial race, they perform better. Um, and so that's sort of been the norm since ever since then, you know, you get your carbohydrate loading and, and you know, your general high carbohydrate diet, but there's been um, low carb diets and, and, and more recently high fat diets have uh, become trendy as an alternative to, the, to that uh, a few times o- over those decades. And, you know, they're trendy again now, and you get people, you know, making a nice uh, argument of bio plausibility as, as to why, you know, high fat or low carb is, is is better. That's not what the elites are doing still. And these are the ones whose livelihood depends on doing what works. Uh, but, you know, you do have, you know, those anecdotal success stories. You know, I, I went from high carb to high fat and it you know made all the difference. And so whatever, um, you know, most research still is not supporting that. But what what seems to be emerging, you know. What's beneficial about this trend is that it gets um, scientists interested in, in, you know, really answering these questions um, in in rigorous ways. And what they're finding is that while for most athletes in most circumstances, um, a carbohydrate centered diet is preferable, there there appear to be um, real benefits associated with uh, short periods of low carbohydrate eating. Or even you know select um, carbohydrate fasted individual workouts where you know your normal diet is carb centered, but you know maybe twice a week you sort of um, you know you start and complete a workout intentionally uh, without your normal uh, carbohydrate supply, and that there are, you know there are benefits associated with that. So that's what you see um, athletes at the top level doing now, not just switching all the way from carb centered to low carb, but maintaining a carb centered diet. And then doing these, you know, you know, carb fasted workouts or brief uh you know, low carb um phases. You know, that gets back to the idea of this uh, nutritional periodization.
0: Uh talking about carb, carb center uh diet, uh, a lot of time I hear from people who uh who is either they're athlete or non-athlete, talking about the carb being not good or you know, they're not they're they they will become fat and all these things, um but are we supposed to burn those carbs as we intake them? How quickly do they, do they get burned?
1: Um, it, it doesn't really matter. Um, what's most important is that um, you, you don't overeat generally. You know, your carbohydrate itself is never going to make you fat. Um, excess energy intake is going to make you fat. So don't even think about it. You know, it, if you're not gaining weight, there's no problem. And if you are gaining weight... You know, it may or may not have something to do with carbohydrates. So that's the goal. You know, there's a recurring theme. You, you can tell what my philosophical orientation is. Because it's always big picture. It's always outcome oriented. And, you know, I I really try to steer athletes away from, you know, a, a reductionistic missing the forest for the trees type of perspective, which for some reason seems to, you know, it seems to be attractive for a, a lot of runners. So how fast are carbs burn? Ir- burned irrelevant. Um, what What matters most is that uh, you eat enough without eating too much and that um, the carbohydrates you do take in are high quality. So we're talking about, you know, fruit and whole grains and things like that versus refined grains and sugar. And then, you know, it, you, most athletes, you will find, you know, that yes, carbohydrate tends to, to have a bad name, but it's really a case of the baby th- being thrown out with the bathwater nine times out of ten, if someone, you know, goes low carb and gets good results and they say, see, carbohydrate is bad, uh, it's really because they just lowered their sugar intake or, you know, their sugar and refined grain intake. So what they're missing is that they actually would have gotten better results if they had retained the high quality carbs in their diet and only gotten rid of, of the low low quality car- carbs. And there's, you know, there's lots of research showing that, um, you know w- when you know, when recreational level athletes reduce their carb intake, their endurance performance goes down. Definitely, uh, Matt.
0: Uh, there's a lot of uh, a lot of diet or or lifestyle has come uh, come alive these days. Uh, talking about p- paleo diet, I think that's how we call to the vegan diets and all this. As an endurance athlete, uh, you mentioned many times about uh, looking at uh, the whole thing as a, as an endurance athlete. Um, or eating, eating wise, and a diet wise, what kind of advice do you give people, or runners especially?
1: Yeah, so it really is, uh, you know, monkey see, monkey do, or I'll have what they're having. Um, <laughs> so instead of, you know, what leads so many recreational athletes down a primrose path to bad results is uh, diets that seem to be supported by science, but they're really just throwing terms at you and telling you a story. And you know, science is, you know, rigorous hypothesis testing. (laughs) And most diets aren't supported by that. And the paleo diet sure isn't. It's just a story. And if so, if you if you're not scientifically literate, it's really easy to fall for those stories. It's like, you know, oh, they're talking about, you know, icosanoids. And I'd never heard of icosanoids. This guy must know what he's talking about. Well, no, he doesn't. So that's really what I'm trying to do with this book and say, you know, forget all that. You know, just just look at the people who are getting the best results and copy them. <laughs> it's, it's as simple as that. And science, you know, what science there is really does support the, the practices uh, of, of the elite athletes. And I do share that science in the book, as you've seen, but it's just a much simpler framework, just like, I'll, you know, I'll have what he's having. He won, he won the race. And of course, there's a scaling that needs to be done. You know, if, if you know, you know, Meb Kofleski is running 120 miles per week, um, well, he needs more calories than you do if you run 30 miles per week. So, but that's scaling that that's just a, a, you know, that's a matter of doing the same thing at, you know, at a, at a scaled down level, but you know, Meb is fast as he is, he's human. And, you know, there's no research showing that there are genetic differences that, you know, all elite runners have, and that no recreational runners have that make a completely different dietary approach uh, necessary for us. That's just not true. So um, I guess, you know, in the spirit of your question, if, if there's any starting point, um, you know, if if a runner comes to me and says, you know, I'm totally confused. I, I don't know what to do. I have them start with focusing on their diet quality. Um, I actually have a, a I, I call it the diet quality score. It's just a very simple way of quantifying the overall quality of your diet. Uh, and I have a smartphone app where you can you can do it. It's a lot easier than f- actual food logging or, or calorie count counting. And that's a really helpful way to start bootstrapping your way toward better eating habits and, and better results, because uh, you start actually paying attention to what matters, you know, versus just you know having no you know lodestar to to focus on to to sort of organize the process of eating better. Definitely, eating better
0: is is definitely what I need to follow. I kind of fall off that trap a lot. Uh, I get hungry all the time, and I end up eating things I should not be eating, even though I'm a vegetarian. Uh, uh-huh. <laughs> that, that has not uh, stopped me uh, not eating junk food. So you mentioned several times eating enough. What is eating enough is or eat enough? I think that's the fourth habit you, you, you talked about. But what is eat enough is really means.
1: So, you know, for for runners, you know, you really want to, in terms of the quantity of food you consume day to day, you want to thread a needle, you know, you want, you, it's important because you're stressing your body with training, which creates high energy demands and energy is calories, you know? So you need to make sure that you supply your body with enough fuel to perform optimally in training, you know, to recover between workouts. And if you don't get enough, which is pretty common among runners, um, you're going to pay a serious price you know you're you're just not going to get the benefit out of the training that you're doing if if you're eating too little as a society in general we're much more focused about the problem of eating too much you know because overweight and obesity are, are so prevalent but for runners it's just it's just as consequential just as bad to not eat enough um but also you don't want to eat too much either because then you will carry excess body weight around which is that's your enemy when you're trying to get to the finish line as fast as as possible. It's just wasted energy to have to haul around excess body fat. So that's what eating enough is. It's eating enough to, you know, fully supply uh, your body's elevated uh, energy and nutrition needs based on your training, but not so much that you retain or God forbid store (laughs) excess body fat. And that's it sounds like an impossible task because that, you know, you, are, you really are threading a needle there. You know, you, it's it's a, a very precise amount. But, you know, the thing not to lose sight of is that, you know, millions of years of evolution went into refining our appetite regulatory system. And if you look at animals in the wild, they don't count calories. And, they, <laughs> and very few of them have any problem, you know, regulating the amount of food they take in. So obviously this stuff is built in. And it clearly is built in with human infants as well. I mentioned some interesting research in, in my book showing that when uh, when infants are uh, overfed, they cut themselves off, um, and you know they 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 know when they've had enough and they resist you know getting too much milk or formula or whatever it is. But it's only in our you know our contemporary society where we we actually systematically train our children to not listen to their appetite and and consume too much. So. While it seems like, you know, it seems like a mathematical problem, you know, eating just the right number of calories, the, the solution is very simple. You don't have to do any math at all, um, except in, you know, maybe uh, when you're tapering or wh- whatever, what you really need to do is a few things will help. Number one, if you increase the quality of your diet, um, you will automatically have your appetite satisfied with fewer calories. So that'll help right there. Just you're, you've already you've, you've solved half of the quantity problem just by addressing the quality problem. But the other half is just a matter of getting back in touch with those signals that your body—it's still sending them—you know, you're just not listening to them anymore. And there's there's research that I cite in the book showing that if you go about that process in uh in a you know an aware systematic way, you know, any anyone can do it. And so you can just start eating a little bit less just by eating more mindfully um, and not taking in calories you absolutely don't need. And it's not about going hungry. It's about satisfying your true appetite, not just eating because the donuts there.
0: What are your thoughts on nutrition, nutrition, diet and diet, all this becoming a billion dollar, million dollar business now? What are your uh, thoughts on this?
1: You know, one thing I find myself uh, pointing out again and again in, in different contexts is that the best runners in the world are East Africans. And um, I went to Kenya, spent two weeks there during the research for this book. And, you know, it's a very simple lifestyle. You know, they, by and large, their runners don't even have access to supplements. They eat what comes out of the, the ground. You know, it's just, but it's good stuff. You know, it's very just natural, unprocessed, wholesome food. They, they eat um, they a lot of fresh fruits and vegetables. Uh, they have a, happens to be a corn-based diet. Their national dish is something called ugali, which is just, you know, whole whole cornmeal. Um, so it's a high quality uh, starch. Um, they don't eat a lot of meat because they can't afford it. They get most of their protein from milk. Um, so I when I when I spent two weeks there, I, I you know because I was doing research and I was there to run as well. I ran a marathon in, in Kenya. I, I ate only what they ate the whole time I was there. I was there. You can get, quote unquote, Western foods, but I avoided them uh, you know because I wanted to see. You know, what, what would happen? And it was great. You know, it just, it, it, um, I, I felt great. I ran great. I lost weight. Um, and by the way, this was the highest carbohydrate diet I had ever consumed. <laughs> Kenyans get almost 80% of their calories from carbs. So if you want proof that it's not the carbs that cause you to gain weight, it's the low quality ones. You don't, know, you need look no further than Kenya because they eat a ton of carbs, but they're all high quality ones. So, you know, my point is that. When you when you have someone try to uh, persuade you that you can't possibly be the runner you want to be without e- consuming some supplement or you know buying some expensive dietary program, remember the Kenyans, because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. they do things they do things very basically, even on the training side too. You know they they don't really lift weights, um, you know they they don't have a lot of the technology. You know, we we think we can't train effectively without our GPS watches and all all that stuff. I'm not saying that that stuff is completely absent over there. But, um, you know, it's just that's one of the great things about running is that it's just such, you know, such an ancient, simple, simple sport. And really, most of the solutions are still ancient and, and simple.
0: Definitely. Is there anything new project that you're working on right now? that you would like to share with the audience here?
1: Yeah, the, the next thing coming up is, um, it's a project I'm calling Life is a Marathon. Um, and as part of it, I'm going to be traveling all around the United States for eight weeks. And I'll be running a marathon in a different location uh, every weekend. And and hopefully getting to meet a lot of uh, other runners along the way and with people with interesting stories and, and sharing their, their stories. Um, you know, as, you can imagine with me there's a book in there <laughs> <somewhere>. <laughs> <laughs> i don't i don't do things like that unless i'm going to write about them but um so i'll be uh pretty soon uh, actually this weekend um i'll be launching um a facebook uh page associated with that uh, life is a marathon project so that's something for your listeners to look out for
0: and uh, if you come to Birmingham or alabama look us look us up so so.
1: yeah I'll, I'm definitely not doing a marathon there but I'll have to check the map to see if I'm coming coming that way it, it'd be uh, great to go for a run with you definitely yeah we have a lot of good trails and roads and anything you wanted here so
0: Matt before we end this end this interview you have a free giveaway to uh, M Runs podcast listener would you like to elaborate on that
1: yeah so I would like to give a free copy of my latest book the Endurance diet to a lucky winner and I will uh, sign it and personalize that. Uh, so you you choose your winner and I'll take care of the rest. Definitely. And I'll announce uh, everybody how we're going to do
0: this. Uh, uh, before we close our interview, Matt, just want to give uh, our runners and listeners word of advice. We're struggling. They're, they're doing what they can and uh, they're still not able to do achieve their goals, running goals or diet goals or losing weight? Just give a word of advice.
1: Sure. So, you know, there's that, that expression, uh, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Sometimes, you know, when when people are just getting started or they have a long way to go on their journey, they, they have a vision of perfection and it becomes daunting and, and frustrating when they just, you know, see how far away from that they are. So a much healthier focus in the long run is to just concentrate on improving getting better you know do one thing better tomorrow than you're doing today and by keeping that sort of you know narrow focus breaking the thing down into bite-sized chunks it becomes the whole project becomes much more manageable um you know we do that naturally as runners if you start a 100 mile run thinking about the finish line you're doomed <laughs> <laughs> <Tell> <laughs> you, me <know>. about <laughs> you break it <laughs> You break it down into halves and quarters and, and right down to you know one mile chunks and it, it makes a big difference. So yeah, you know, whether it's diet or training or weight loss or whatever, focus on you know you know am I doing things better today than I was yesterday? And if you maintain that focus, you'll be amazed that that finish line comes up eventually. Thanks,
0: Matt. That sounds like a great word of advice, and looking forward to follow your journey. Hopefully, we we'll see you here in Alabama somewhere. All right. Thanks so much, Suman. Thanks for listening to another episode of M Runs Podcast. Please subscribe to M Runs Podcast channel, Voice of Runners. Also, follow mruns.com's social media handle, Marathon Runs, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for recent updates, photos, and more.